to you, wherever you may be, this is your host, Bruce Ash, broadcasting live from the third level of my underground bunker located in Coronado, California, where the men are strong, the women are good looking, and their parents are absolutely convinced the kids are way above average there. Welcoming you to a special rainy days and post-primary action-packed edition of Inside Track. Ed is back in the Ed is, I, I forgot, a guy was gone for one week. Don't worry, mom's dyslexic. Name. Gee whiz. Eb is back in the studio and uh, welcoming him back today. Eb, go ahead. Hey, thanks for tuning in. This is uh, a great afternoon. Before we get into our first guest, Randy Pullen, to discuss the GOP primary results, who's running for re-election, please support our great sponsors, Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus, Essential Pest Control, Corazon Cabinets, and Right Flight. Also supporting Inside Track this afternoon, the aforementioned Eb Wilkinson with Wilkinson Wealth Management. All of our sponsors are locally owned, family-run businesses you can depend upon. Eb and I do, so should you. We welcome your calls today on the Wilkinson Wealth Management live line at 790-2040. We have a much better than average show today, and all of our shows and guests are awesome. Uh, first up is Randy Pullen who we will introduce in just a moment. In the second half of the show today, Clinton confidant, political pundit, pollster, and author of the new Amazon and New York Times bestseller, The Return, Dick Morris joins us to talk about his new book about Donald Trump's likely 2024 candidacy for president of the United States. Okay, let's get right to it. Our first guest today is friend of the show, a man who stood up to the chairman of the RNC, not to mention Senator John McCain, and he won. Former AZ GOP chair and RNC treasurer Randy Pullen, welcome back to the show, Randy. We just finished the twenty the twenty twenty two primary. Uh, what we did did re, yeah. yeah what did Republican voter participation look like in the just completed primary and talk about Democrat participation if you have that information too sure sure we can do that but first let me say I think Dick Morris pretty much agree with all my positions there you go the upcoming election <laughs> <laughs> sure. so what was voter participation like Randy. Yeah, well, we had great participation. This was a very contentious election year. I'd have to go back to 2010 to think of another year that we had as much uh, issues going on within the party. But uh, this <laughs> way exceeded what we did. We did great in 2010 and was considered the best in 20 years. Well, now we're looking at the best in, what, 30-plus years as far as turnout goes? Uh, right. for an off-year primary. Uh, so we had, right now, they don't have the final, final, final numbers, but these numbers are probably 99%. We had a uh, 1,407,000 votes cast in the primary. That's a 34% turnout of our electorate. I mean, we did 30% in 2010 and thought we did great. So this is a huge increase in the turnout. Uh, also, Maricopa County, as expected, represented about 60% of the votes cast. Uh, but I will tell you, Pima County did pretty well, too. They were they were 35.5%. All right? Wow. 
your county was there. Yavapai was the highest. They were almost 48%. And I bet you can guess who was the lowest. <laughs> Just south of Maricopa County, Pinal County. Well, well, there was a reason for that. 22.6% turnout. Yeah, that was a reason change. for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, more, what's, you know, what's very interesting for me in this election was that a lot of independents pulled ballots in this election cycle, and 60% of them pulled Republican ballots to vote. Wow. Randy, Over what was it like in the 2020 election with the independents? Uh, in terms of uh, the, the independents that pulled, yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't nearly, it's about even, okay? Uh, but the big difference between 2020 and now is the independent uh, registered voters has increased while Republican and Democrat registered voters decreased from 2020. And so more people, let me put it this way, Democrats and Republican uh, registered voters switch were switching to independent. Well, and a and lot of those Republican, cool. a lot of those Republican voters, as well as Democrat voters, um, are, are, are 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 voting conservative because um, they look at what's going on in the world and saying, "Hey, the Republicans aren't doing such a great job either. We need more conservative uh, leaders in the legislature and and in the Senate and, and and in statewide offices, aren't they?" Correct. Yes. Well, that's true. So what we have going on as you know, is Democrats are very frustrated with the Biden program. Okay, so, and so that's causing them to re-register. And we have a number of Republicans who are not Trumpers, who do not believe in Trump uh, and what he's, what he's been doing. Again, it's not so much what he did, it's what he says and how he acts that causes them a problem. And so they re-registered as independents. Okay, but I think we're going to see a switch on that. And I think Morris would, uh, Dick Morris probably agree with me that Republicans that weren't Trumpers, especially women, uh, are now looking at what's going on and saying, well, we not, might not like what he says all the time, but what he was doing was better than what's going on right now. So that falls under the give me mean tweets and $1.85 gas. Man, you're on, on the mark. <laughs> So in the GOP primaries, there were there was lots of competition, multiple candidates involved and Democrats are back to uh, uh, their usual, which is to not have a lot of competition. Um, And what we find is after the primaries, Republicans basically shot their wad. Uh, fiscally speaking, uh, running those elections to get the nomination, and Democrats have a bunch of dough left over. Is that a fair assessment? That is, that is right on point. Uh, again, you just have to look down the list. I mean, uh, for governor, we had five uh, candidates in there that were competing for it. The Democrats had three, but really it was only two. Okay, right. so again, uh, a lot of money got spent. Uh, by Lake, as well as obviously by Robeson in the governor's race, and they spent up their money. Uh, if you go down the ticket, I mean, like AG, we had six in the race. There were two Democrats in the race. Okay, Secretary of State, four to two. I mean, so again, 
there was a lot of, again, that's what I was saying earlier, there was a lot of contention in the Republican side. The uh, Obviously, the Trump uh, choices, they won out, and across the country they won out. I don't know the percentage, but I know it's north of 90% of Trump-endorsed candidates won across the country. So yeah, if you're a Democrat, what is that telling you? Let, let's say you're a Democratic advisor. What, what does that tell you? Or what do they tell their uh, uh, their candidates? Well, obviously, uh, you know, the uh, first thing you have to do if you're a Democrat is say we're not in a recession, although really, <laughs> technically we are, but we're not in a recession. And It depends on what your definition of is is. Is, is. And inflation's going down. Look at the gas prices. They're going down. You know, this was all caused by Trump. I mean, they're just going to take, they have to play that 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 scheme because they don't have anything else to talk about here in arizona uh obviously roe versus wade is going to become an issue in arizona especially uh in the in the governor's race as well as in the senate race uh, it's, they're already starting to throw ads out there against masters regarding that so we're, we're going to see those issues but again if you go look at arizona what are the issues that matter to us to the most voters it's one uh, you go to the grocery store and prices are through the roof. So we do have inflation, regardless of what they're saying. It's over. Gas prices, even if they stay at where they are right now, they're still, you know, a buck fifty more than they were before. You're paying for your gas. So again, it's it, the borders out of control, and it's becoming clearer and clearer that it's just been an open border. Uh, and and these are issues that matter to Arizonans. So these are these are kitchen table kind of issues, uh, stuff that families sit around in the evening trying to figure out uh, how they're going to budget for their next trip to the grocery store or the next trip to the gas station. Um, so there is we're already, a reconcil- uh, Bruce, we're already seeing it because yeah. now if you look at what's going on, you go look at what Walmart's doing or some of the other major stores. People are coming in buying groceries, but they aren't buying other. They're not buying clothes. They're not buying, you know, appliances and things like that. That's all dropping. House sales are down twenty percent across the country. And Arizona, I don't know what the exact number is. You might know, Bruce. Uh, you know, so again, we're, we're seeing these are the things that concern Arizonans. So there was a well above average amount of rhino smears in the primary. <laughs> let's 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 discuss reconciliation and what is needed to actually win in November. Care to weigh in on that? Sure. Uh, the what it always this is what I said in 2010. This is what we preach, and you preached it along with me, Bruce. Party unity. We have to come together. We cannot be fighting internally because we have a real problem with the Democrats. We have to make sure they don't win. And as you recall, uh, we came together in 2010 and we won every statewide race and we won super majorities in the legislature. Never had happened before. But when the party comes together, uh, and when I say it came together, it did. I mean, uh, although I'm, McCain and I were not friends, he was on board. Um, Kyle was on board. Uh, other important fundraisers were on board. So we came together as a team in order to win the election in 
collections in 2010. And that's what we have to do this year. Uh, it's very important, especially for masters as well as Lake, that they reach out and they pull together the party. Uh, obviously, I'm pretty, I haven't heard yet, but I'm pretty certain uh, Karen Ropeson is going to support uh, Kerry in the general election. And that's what she we announced that she announced that just yesterday. Did she? I, I didn't hear it, but I'm not surprised. I kind of knew it was coming. Okay. So uh, that's again. So that's what the focus is now: is pulling the party together, unifying it, and for the general election. And I think we can do that. Okay. So two questions. Um, basically, what we have to do as a party is, if our candidate did not win the primary. We need to be able to say they may be an idiot, but there are idiots, so we've got to stand behind them and get the party elected. That's a little harsh. Well, okay. Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't say they were idiots. Well, <laughs> it, it depends on uh, how much you wanted your candidate to win. That's true. Well, exactly. Uh, again, I endorsed Karen Ropeson in the primary, but I know her. I knew her. I, I know, knew what her values were. I knew... She was conservative. She wasn't a rhino. She was a conservative, okay. And, uh, and and I and I knew her, and so I supported her, you know. But now the election, the primary is over. I am supporting Carrie Lake 100 percent moving forward in the general election. As are we all. Hey, um, yeah. Randy, uh, this election was not without its problems with the vote, both in counting them. And the mistakes at the polling places uh, in, like, Pinal County. So what does it, why, why does it take so long for us to count the vote in Arizona? Well, it kind of goes back to what the laws are, uh, quite frankly. I mean, so, again, what we have happening is most of the, a lot of the early ballots are not being mailed in. They're being dropped off on election day or the day before, Monday or Tuesday, okay? And I think, I don't know the final number, but I think there was about 140,000 ballots dropped off in Maricopa County, okay? And so they have, so these are all early ballots that they have to cure. And they cure them by, they go through and they look at the signatures, compare it to what they have on file, and they approve it. And once they approve the signature, then they can pull the uh the ballot out of the envelope and count it. But before they even start doing that, they have to deal with all the provisional ballots that were turned in on election day. So the very first thing they do is resolve all the provisional ballots, which is there's a lot of, uh, you know, there are a lot of reasons why provisional ballots are filed. Okay. So they got to solve that first. And then they go ahead and they look at the early ballots that were uh, turned in on election day. And the good news about that and is that I, I know uh, Republican Party, the supervisors in Arizona, were very focused on making sure that everything went well in this election and there weren't any problems. They were making sure that all of the signatures were being checked. And if they could not verify the signature, they were actually calling up the voter and confirming that they had voted that way. As opposed to 2020, when we were doing the audit, we found over 200,000 ballots, envelopes in Maricopa County that were opened and ballots counted. And the signatures did not match what they had on file yeah, and I'm were shocked. never cured. Hey, okay. Randy, we've got a caller. Vince? 
I'm on. Vince, are you there? I'm here. Good. Bruce. This Vince Leach, Arizona State Senator. Uh, you had a problem in this election, didn't you? No, I had more than a problem, Bruce. It's a fiasco. Uh, it started with 63,000 ballots that were messed up with the municipal races in Pinal County, uh, forcing uh, dual ballots. You had two separate ballots in, in the race. Uh, for some reason, that elections director was kept on after he admitted that it was his fault. Uh, and then he uh, proceeded to uh, cause a disarray in, uh, on Tuesday. Uh, he, he, there were 25 precincts in uh, Pinal County that ran out of ballots, ran out of ballots. The most American thing you can do is go to the polls. You expect a ballot to be there. Uh, and that hit LD-17 particularly hard. Uh, LD-17, the five precincts that are in uh, Pinal County, are in the 80 to 90 percent, the highest in the county, of turnout. Uh, as on a map that they have at uh, Pinal County on voter turnout. Uh, it's, uh, it's voter suppression. I mean, serving in the legislature, we run a number of election bills, and uh, every time we bring up an election bill, we're accused of voter suppression, voter suppression. Here it is that the government, of all people, and I just heard Randy saying, you know, this election should be perfect, 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 uh, and we've got ballots not showing up, and when they did show up, Finally, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I was there at one polling place, and he had a stack of papers in his hand. I said, what's that? He said, you're replacing ballots. How many? 50 Republican ballots, 25 Democrat ballots. And this is, this is both parties. The Democrats at Mountain View and Saddlebrook ran out of ballots at 11 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my God. The poll workers had been calling Pinal County and said, we're out of ballots. In fact, one, I believe it was Desert View here in Saddlebrook, when they dropped them off, said, that's not near enough. Not to worry, we will have more. Not to worry, we'll have more. And the more was basically nothing. Uh, and so, you know, we are looking for and actively seeking people that, uh, that were at the place, at the voting, polling place to vote, were denied, uh, some came back. I talked to people that came back, and there still weren't ballots there. That just gave up. Gave up. Yeah. And people say, well, you know, they all had a chance, and we supplied ballots. Not once it hits Twitter. Not once it hits a community where people talk to each other. Don't go there. They don't have ballots. Uh, and then we found out yesterday that one of the machines that was used to uh, tabulate uh, early ballots had been down with the previous uh, elections director, and they just fixed it yesterday. There were 10,000 ballots. I mean, it's absolutely... The, Bruce, the Board of Supervisors in Pinal County need to take a hard look before August 12th when these this election needs to be certified in the county and really ask themselves, was this a fair, honest, well-run election in which the voters can be satisfied that the public good was served, I think they need to answer those questions. Vince, this is Eb. Let me ask you a question. I'm just a basic guy. It would seem if ballots are going to, if there's going to be a lack of ballots, it would be a lack of ballots across the board, all counties. Why Pinnell? What's going on? Well, I, you know, and that's one thing that the Board of Supervisors has not answered. Uh, obviously, 
the elections director, who's no longer there, uh, had to put an order in. Um, and, and I'm sure the order that went to the, the printer said X number of ballots with this makeup, you know, this, this precinct, this precinct, this precinct. Obviously, in the ordering situation, I, and I, that's, it's just, I cannot fathom an elections director, even though he was new, wouldn't you look at history? Wouldn't you look at the turnout ratio, in, particularly in Saddlebrook and Saddlebrook Ranch? Over the years, always high turnout. People over 65 vote. And to show up with 100 ballots, I have no idea. I'm sure that that question will be, uh, it was asked at the press conference the other day, and I'm sure that the supervisors will be looking into that, and that's one of the questions that they have to answer and, yeah. and, and going to the public with uh, with the answers. Well, one yeah. of the things that, I, can... that concerns me is you've got, uh, if you've got 4,000 voters, you have to plan on having 4,000 ballots, even though you know historically only 20, 25, 30% show up. What happens if they all show up? And we're seeing that now. I mean, if you have everybody show up, talk about disenfranchised voters. Well, uh, I've talked to a number of people that have been in this business longer than I have, and nobody has ever seen a fiasco like this where you go to the polls and the poll workers say, we don't have ballots. I mean, this is that's yeah. third world. That's absolutely third world where they, they don't at this day and age. And then to say, we will have ballots in two to three hours. And I found out they were printing them in a machine in Coolidge, the voting center for Pinal County, at the rate of 40 an hour. Oh, my 40 God. 40 an hour. Vince, it, it, tell it, our – Vince – Tell our listeners how they can tell our listeners how they can help uh, get this information put together on disenfranchised voters. How do they get in contact with you? Well, they either contact your station. They've got your your phone number and they can contact you uh, or they can contact me at my uh, email address. V is in Victor W is in Willie L E A C H at gmail.com. Once again, Bruce, V is in Victor, W is in Willie, L-E-A-C-H, at gmail.com. It's, it's, it, I mean, the, the, the supervisors and the county attorney of Pinal County need to know this information, that this doesn't stand, that you can't just shut off votes and say, oh, it's a, it's, it's a human error, we're really sorry. And that's what the county attorney said in the press conference. This is... This is too basic to what American. This should not happen in America. This is un-American. Vince, I hope you'll fight on this, and wow. I hope the supervisors and everybody makes the right decision. Thanks for calling in. Uh, we're going to wow, get back to bet. Randy for our remaining time together. Wow. Thanks for calling in. So, so yeah. Randy, we're not going to get through the the list of uh, questions uh, that that uh, Eb and I have. Um, just a, a couple of things, though, that I did want you to comment on. So, as I mentioned before, most of the candidates uh, in the Republican Party, anyway, <laughs> leave the uh, uh, primary broke. Um, how is that going to affect uh, their elections going forward, especially where you have well-funded? Uh, candidates like Mark uh, Kelly, who has over $40 million, and some of the others. Yeah, well, can I just say first, I totally agree with Vince. I mean, they totally messed up in Pinal County. We saw the same kinds of problems in Maricopa County, 
in 2020 because they misjudged the election in terms of who, how many were going to turn out and vote. And, and that causes huge problems. But I, I, just moving ahead, well, if you look at our candidates, if, if you look at Lake, obviously she's got a, a, an issue on funding. But I will tell you that as we saw in 2010 and other election years, the RGA, Republican Governor Association, are going to step up and they'll be funding a lot of the uh, uh, ads and stuff in Arizona on behalf of her. So that will be happening. I think Masters has access to good funding. I think he'll have the funding available as well uh, as uh, I'm not too concerned about Finch. And when you start going down ticket like that, it's not it's not so important, not so significant. Uh, you know, so the, the two major races, the Senate race and the governor's race, I think there will be adequate funding in there. Uh, because don't forget, uh, one of the things you're doing is name ID, and they spent a lot of money on name ID. So as far as that goes, Lake and Masters have name ID now that they didn't have before. So they've already paid for that. So uh, again, real quick before we um, close up with you for the day, Randy, and, and Ab and I want to have you back as well. We didn't get to nearly all the questions we needed to. Um, what do you think about Republican chances in Arizona to pick up U.S. House seats? Eli Crane won uh, up, up in northern Arizona, Juan Siscomani here in Pima and Cochise County. And a very interesting candidate running against Raul Grajava, Luis Pasolo. Um, will yes. this be the year where maybe uh, Grajava finally meets his match? Well, I don't know about that one, but, I mean, the redistricting really – helped us out quite a bit like greg stanton is in a very tight district now uh so again i think that uh we have to unite the party and if we do a good job of uniting the party then i think they got a great shot at it well randy thanks for thanks for coming in on short notice this week uh, like i said we'll have you back shortly to analyze the election as we go along as we did in the primary, we're going to continue to cover Republican candidates, giving them a platform here on Inside Track as often as they like. So uh, thanks again, Randy. Mr. Producer, let's take our first break. You're listening to Inside Track. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with author and political pundit Dick Morris. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after we pay some bills. Jamie Kipper and her father, Gary Kipper, from Tucson Iron and Metal. What are they going to see when they come through the gates? So when they come on in, they'll see our building up front. People have free reign to then go out and look in the yard. So it's not a typical scrapyard with a ton of big machinery. We have a couple of forklifts around, but that's about it just to help move material. So when you come in, it's all organized by material, whether it's square tubing, angle iron, roofing. And then there is a pile in the back, which is still organized and easy to get through. But that's stuff that comes over from the scrap. So we're unique in that we get stuff in from the scrap, which a lot of artists and people will like or reuse, whether it's a sink that someone needs for their house. We sell literally anything made of metal. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? 
none of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. Instead of an activity where every kid gets a trophy, those who graduate from Wright Flight get to fly a plane. But only if they get good grades, are well-behaved, and pass a written test. I'm Robin Stoddard, an ex-fighter pilot. I founded Wright Flight because I knew it could help kids reach new heights in their schools, homes, and communities. Endorsed by educators at every level, nonprofit Wright Flight has changed thousands of lives since 1986. Learn more at rightflight.org. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you think what's happening in Ukraine can't happen here, think again. Look who's occupying the White House. This is one of many things our forefathers predicted and ensured those rights in our Constitution. We manage money for gun owners. Call me at 777-1911 or WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com. Welcome back to Inside Track. Our very special guest for the balance of the show today is one of the best-known political consultants, pollsters, pundits, and author of the New York Times and Amazon bestseller, The Return, Trump's Big 2024 Comeback, an FOB, that's friend of the bill, and advisor to Bill Clinton from his days as governor, advisor to President Clinton while he was in the White House, and the architect of political triangulation to achieve maximum gain and popularity. We know him from his visits with Bill O'Reilly on Fox News and his political columns. He is controversial, and most importantly, he has written his new book, The Return, which is a bestseller. Welcome to Inside Track, Dick. Good. Well, you need to mention that I've become a key advisor to Donald Trump. And a key advisor um, to Donald Trump. Yeah, in 2016, uh, I wrote a book that came out six months before the election called Armageddon how Trump can beat Hillary. And uh, that became kind of the guidebook to the Trump campaign. And now I've written a book that's a sequel to that, The Return, Trump's Trump's uh, winning comeback in 2024. And uh, I predict that Trump will run. I predict he'll win the nomination. I predict he'll win the election. And I set out how he should do it and what the game plan should be. And uh, and it's really, um, it was my joy to write it. I worked very closely with Trump in the 2020 campaign in 2016. My dad was actually his lawyer for years. Well, now, in the 2016 campaign, you were one of his uh, secret advisors, part of his innermost kitchen cabinet with almost daily yep. phone calls. Yep. Okay. I was. Okay. And, and in 2020 as well. Right. And, and the, um, go ahead. Well, the, the, the key premise of my book, or the first is, that there's a, there are four words that only Trump can say that other candidates can't. I did it already. The, the Democrats always like to advance their, cover their failures by claiming inevitability. Oh, I know we have an open border, and but, you know, in this era, all borders are porous, and there's no way you can seal your border. And Trump says, BS, I did it already. And they say, yeah, well, gas prices are high, but that's a global phenomenon, nothing we could do about it. And Trump said, I did it already. And they say inflation, you know, nobody can 
control that, and he says, I did it already. Every one of the problems we face under the Democrats, uh, Donald Trump has faced and overcome already. And that's something no other candidate for president can say. Well, and that's important. Now, in your book, The Return, you know, uh, it's lit up the news about Donald Trump's return for a re-election in 2024. But back in uh, 2016, you gave him some incredible advice, uh, which was to attack, confront, ridicule, and destroy Hillary Clinton in the presidential election. It worked. And in the early morning, after it was clear that Donald Trump had been elected... He looked a bit shell-shocked when he met his supporters. Were you as surprised as he was? Yeah. No, no, he was surprised. I wrote the book predicting it. <laughs> but uh, he was surprised. I wasn't. But the um, I predict in my book, The Return, that Hillary is going to try again and that she will probably be the Democratic nominee in 2024. And Trump will beat her. It will be... Trump v. Hillary 2.0. And the reason I say that is that I think after the midterm elections, after the congressional races, the Democrats are going to get clobbered. And uh, they're going to come to Biden and say, look, you can't run again because we won't oust you with the 25th Amendment, but you can't run again. We can't suffer another defeat with you at the head of the ticket. And he'll withdraw. He'll say, I won't run in 2024. And what that's going to do is open the floodgates to other candidates. And because the Democratic Party has moved so far to the left, I believe the front runners in that race are going to be Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and mark my words, AOC. Wow. Going to run for president. She's three months old enough. And uh, I think that they will lead in the polls and win the early primaries and caucuses. And that's going to make the Democrats repeat what they did in 2016 when they were afraid that Sanders would win the nomination. So they went hat in hand to Hillary and said, please save us from Sanders. And she did and she ran and she beat Sanders, but then she lost to Trump. Well, didn't she beat Sanders because of her superdelegates? Yeah, that's how she'll do it this time, too. And without Uh, the superdelegates, there's no way Hillary would take it. Without the superdelegates, she couldn't win it. That's right. But it's fixed by the party leadership. And uh, I think that Hillary always likes to advance masks because she knows that she's not popular. And if she just says, I want to be president, people are not going to support it. But if she says, I'm running to be the first woman president, well, that's different. I'm running to advance my husband's policies and balance the budget. Well, that's different. Or, and now in this case, I'm the one who's running to stop Bernie Sanders from taking over the Democratic Party. So well, I think Hillary's going to be the Democratic candidate, and I think Trump will beat her like a drum. Um, one quick question before we go to Bruce. You're convinced Donald Trump will run for re-election in 2024. Yes. Why? Yeah, we've talked about it. Because we're on the phone every, every uh, few days, twice a week, and we talk about it all the time. He's definitely running. The only reason he hasn't announced yet is his accountant won't let him because uh, every dollar he spends on these rallies comes out of his campaign budget. Uh, Bruce. 
Thanks for joining us today, Dick. Uh, I'm somebody who has watched, uh, hi, I've watched, admired, listened to, uh, uh, read what you've uh, had to say over the years, and uh, we appreciate you spending some time with us. You you. talk to the president, as you said, all the time, and one of the key things I think you've been talking to him about are the three principles he needs to affect for a Republican victory in 24. I think those are free and fair elections. The GOP candidate must be Donald Trump. And reframing the Trump agenda to create the new majority. Talk more about the new majority and how that's different than the Make America Great Again. Well, the the Democratic Party used to be based on full support from Latinos, from the working class, and from young people. And Trump is taking all three of those away from them. Uh, the working class they took away, he, he took away in 16. Uh, the Democrats uh, pay no attention to the working class. Uh, it used to be that workers vote Democrat and rich people vote Republican, but now that's completely flipped. Hillary called blue-collar workers deplorables, Uh, Obama said they cling to their guns and Bibles because of their frustrations. And uh, Trump said, no, they're Americans, and we deserve to help them and to put our policies in favor of them. The heritage of the Republican Party was always Adam Smith, free capitalism, free flow of goods and labor. And Trump said, no, free flow of goods means the Chinese have subsidized exports that close our factories. And free flow of labor means that people come over the border and work for nothing, and American workers lose their jobs or can't get raises in income. So he said America first, and that's the key change. Among Latinos, it's different. With Latinos, he said that they came here to America, often on a freaking boat at the risk of their lives in the Atlantic Ocean, a raft. And uh, and they came here because they wanted to flee countries like Cuba, Venezuela, Mexico, uh, Nicaragua, and they wanted a life of freedom and opportunity. And Trump said now they're in the U.S. and they're seeing the same thing happening to the U.S. that happened to their countries. The growth of socialism, corruption, drug cartels taking over, and they're determined that that's not going to happen in their new country. So they become really patriotic and stand up for America. And that applies to Asians, too. The idea that these people wanted to be Americans and are determined to protect being Americans. So it's a whole new concept in the Democratic Party, in the Republican Party. In 2016, Trump ran to take over the Republican Party. Now he's running to make over the Republican Party. And in 172 races... He's made an endorsement of a MAGA Republican, typically against a rhino, against a go-along, get-along Republican, and it's prevailed. And, of course, the big case in that is uh, Kerry Lake in Arizona and uh, Masters in Arizona and your entire ticket, including Mark Fen- I think Spindham is running for Secretary of Fincham. State. Fincham. It's so important. It's so important that he wins so that they can't steal this election. Um, you know, Dick, way, uh, I, yeah, go ahead. While, while I'm in Arizona with you, I'd like to expose something about Christian cinema. 
the other senator. Uh, after long holding out, basically just to enhance her bargaining position, Sinema finally sold out and is endorsing this reconciliation bill. And the reason is that she caved over an incredibly outrageous special interest loophole called carried interest. And let me explain that. When you run a hedge fund, uh, the people in it invest their money, and if they make money on their investment, they pay a capital gains tax. It's not an income tax because they've already paid that, but it's a special 20% tax on their capital gain. If it were income, it would be taxed at 37%, but it's a capital gain, it's just 20 And that's fair, and that's fine, and that's good. But under this loophole, the guys who manage the trust fund, who do not invest, they have, don't have any of their own money in it. They have no skin in the game. They're just employees who manage the fund on behalf of the investors. They, too, get to pay only a capital gain tax on their income. And it costs the taxpayers about $19 billion. So they get to pay a 20% rate. And you and I have to pay a 37% rate on our income. And so there's every cop, every fireman, every school teacher, and everybody. And why a hedge fund manager should be able to pay half that, 20% on his income, is beyond me. And that special interest that contributes vast amounts of campaign money to, to protect that treatment used to find its spokesman in Chuck Schumer, who was the senator from New York. And he said, hey, Wall Street's in my district. I have to defend my state interest. And, but he agreed to get rid of it in this bill. And Kristen Sinema stepped into the breach and said, in Arizona, I have a lot of hedge fund managers, and they contribute millions to my campaign, so now I'm going to stand up and protect that special interest. And if you cut it out, if you delete it, I won't vote for your reconciliation package, and you won't get to pass any of it. And she's strong on the party into going along with it. That's the most outrageous act of political corruption I can imagine. Dick, your 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 observation is keen as always on the carried interest uh, issue. And, you know, uh, we've talked for a long time about how the Democratic Party has become the party of the rich, uh, the big donor uh, class that has come in to support them, uh, has economic ties to all of the uh, uh, Democrat uh, officers who are running for election, and and yep. Kristen Sinema just made her bed with those guys. Um, <laughs> I want to I, I want to go back um, to something that happened in in 2016. I was a member of the RNC. I was chairman of the Standing Committee on Rules. Uh, there was a move amongst the um, uh, the chairman and some of uh, uh, his allies. Uh, to push Donald Trump away, not just once, but twice in that nominations process. One was to change mm -hmm. rules at the uh, at the convention level, uh, and uh, and also to cave in to the uh, to the. Uh, uh, um, uh, the, the delegates who, who wanted to steal the, the nomination from, from, from Donald Trump. The second was when an unfortunate video uh, appeared in September and was going to be used as a, as a last-minute uh, bombshell against the president. The Hollywood um, thing, yeah. Yeah, a Hollywood thing, that's right. And you know, so, so 
the Democratic Party, though, in 2016, they also they also did a number, excuse me, in 2020, did a number on Bernie Sanders and all of the, the leftists uh, who are in that party uh, by bringing Joe Biden in. They're, they're up to the same thing again. That's how Hillary yep. Clinton gets in a second time as a nomination. That that yep. has got to make uh, the, the rank and file of the Democratic Party just absolutely furious, don't you think? Yeah, you, you're completely right. And uh, I write about this in the return. This is the this is the will be the ultimate statement of a war within the Democratic Party between the moderates and the crazies. And the crazies have taken it over. Um, there's a phenomenon that's interesting. Whenever the party of the left loses an election to the party of the right, it does not move to the center. It moves further to the left. So, for example, when Reagan beat Carter, the next two candidates the Democrats nominated were not moderates. They were Mondale and Dukakis, way over leftists before they got sanity right. and nominated Clinton. And uh, in Britain, the same thing happened when Thatcher defeated Callahan, Margaret Thatcher. Uh, the next two candidates of the Labour Party were not moderates. They were Neil Kinnock and Michael Foote, crazy left-wing, almost communists. And it took 10 years before they got sanity and nominated Tony Blair. And I think the same thing is happening now in the Democratic Party in the U.S., uh, because they're going to get clobbered in the election of 22. And I believe they lost the election of 20. They just stole it. And I think that their reaction is to move further and further to the left. And the reason for that, I think, is that the moderates leave the party. And it's only only people who vote in the primaries who stay in it are the left-wing crazies. And uh, I think that that's going to become apparent if the minute Biden steps aside. I want to just say another word about Katie Hobbs. Can I do that? Oh, please do. We're, she's she's yeah. a queen of, of, of liberalism. Well, she's also the queen of election fraud. Uh, and I explain it in my book. When she was elected Secretary of State, uh, on election night, everybody said that uh, she lost and that the, that the Republican won. And it took a week to go through the absentee ballots, the paper ballots, the whole bit we're now very familiar with. And because of fraud and manipulation, Hobbs won that election. And as Secretary of State, she was in charge of the election machinery uh, in Arizona for other elections. And she did the same thing to uh, Trump that she did in her own election as Secretary of State. And now she's running for governor. And we have to make sure she won't do it again. Dick. Well, we have a very strong candidate running against her. Carrie, Carrie Lake uh, has been calling yep. her on all of her stuff. Yep. Yep. Yeah. She's Dick. great. I love Carrie. Yeah. But so, you, you know, go ahead. It, it's really important for us to understand that I, and I reveal this in my book, and I don't think most people know about it. I'm not sure you guys do, but you will soon, but not now. There is a case making its way up through the courts. That is, uh, that is coming before the Supreme Court in the fall called Moore versus Harper. And it's run by conservative Republicans in North Carolina. And it says that the Constitution specifically vests 
the state legislatures and only the legislatures with the power to run elections and draw congressional boundaries. The provision is on Section 4, Article 1, the times, places, and manners of holding elections for Congress and Senate shall be determined by the state legislatures. Now, the, the interpretation of that has been the states do it. But the strict constructionists to now a majority of the court say, read the Constitution. It says state legislatures. And if this suit succeeds, which I probably will, because we have four judges who agreed to hear it, and we'll probably end up with five or six votes, all the conservatives. It means that the governors will have no right to veto legislation reforming the election process. So in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and North Carolina, all of the swing states, they have passed bills completely cleaning up the elections. Uh, No drop boxes require photo ID, uh, signature verification, the whole bit. But the Democratic governors have vetoed them. And under Moore v. Harper, they've taken the veto away from them, and they will not be able to veto it. And state courts will have no jurisdiction, only federal courts, based on what the legislature said. And in these states, the Republicans controlled the legislature. Now, in Arizona, Ducey, in his last, last good act as governor, signed a bill with those protections already in it. So in Arizona, Georgia, and Florida, we're covered. But in those other states, we're not. But the Moore v. Harper decision, when it comes down, will basically make ballot fraud a thing of the past. The Democrats will not be able to steal the election of 2024. Dick, I know, I know, I know about the case, and you know the guy who told me about it was Dick Morris. I, I listened to your video or watched your video oh, on this. And, <laughs> and and everybody, you should you should be going to Dick Morris's website. You should be buying the book, uh, The Return, because you're going to find out a lot of stuff that you're not going to find anyplace else. But but Dick, I was I, I'd like to say I was right with you on that one. I knew where you were going. That's great, Eb. Uh, you have a question for Dick? I do, uh, Dick. We've got three minutes left. A couple of things. Number one, it's all well and good to say that. Uh, uh, Joe Biden is going to drop out for the 2024 election. How is he going to how is the Democratic Party going to make that happen? And how are they going to make it happen so Joe Biden still saves face, as does the Democratic Party? Well, they'll come to him because they just got massacred in the election in 2022. And they'll know that this is horrible, that they that he led them to a major defeat. And they'll come to him and they'll say, you just can't stay in office. And if the Democratic Party in the Senate and the Pelosi in the House come to him and say that, he'll have to obey them. Uh, he won't be able to stay in office with the party telling him to leave. Um, and that will set up a gigantic scramble for the nomination, which, as I outlined, I think will ultimately lead to a Hillary Clinton victory. So basically, this has already been written. Hillary already knows she's going to be the nominee for 2024. Well, if she reads my book, she does. <laughs> okay, well, in the return, you also write that AOC is planning that run for president in 2024. Does, yes, she yes. Have, does she have Bernie Sanders' permission to do that? She doesn't need it. She could beat Sanders. Um, because she'll say, look, we're confronting an 80-year-old in Trump. 
And uh, we need a young, vibrant, dynamic Republican, a Democrat, to beat him. And that's me. And uh, Sanders has shown that he couldn't win in the past. And uh, and we need somebody who's going to win now. Well, listen, uh, Dick, we're down to the last minute and 45 seconds. Everybody I, go out I, and get that. Go ahead. I want to read you something from the book. I've just been looking up here about Katie Hobbs. Um, While you're looking about that on Katie Hobbs, she did say when she ran for Secretary of State that her her reason for running for Secretary of State was to help elect more Democrats. And she's she's lived up to that campaign promise, unfortunately, for for Arizona. Yep, she did. But um, hang on, it's worth understanding this. Well, it tells the story about how she stole her own election to Secretary of State, and uh, and it's it's just an outrageous story. I'm sorry, I'm flipping through the book as I'm talking. But. Well, Dick, we've only got 50 seconds left. Uh, best-selling yeah. author, pundit, political phenomenon, author of the great book, The Return, published by Belormo and available everywhere. Catch his show, Dick Morris Democracy, on Newsmax and various Newsmax shows. And thanks so much for joining us here today, Dick. We well, only great. touched Thank a you. portion of the questions that we had for you. Bruce. Well, need the book to get the rest. Absolutely. That's right. Okay. Uh, our you. show is podcasted both on the cable. Yes. Thank you for referring to my videos. I do a, a video every single morning called The You're Lunch awesome, Alert. Man. You're going at it. It's fabulous. Just sign up for it. Thank you. All right. Until next week when we have another great show planned for Inside Track, this is Eb Wilkinson. And Bruce Ash. Have a wonderful time. We'll see you back in 167 hours. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. A lot of the the cities and counties around have initiatives for artists. I think we're one of the premier artist suppliers for steel. First Saturday of every month, you can come down early and actually go through the scrapyard across the street. It's seven acres of metal. You can walk through with our people and pick out what you want. It's always interesting to see what the artists have done. We've done uh, actually a couple projects with the U of A engineering department and music department where the engineering music students came down together. They had to pick something out of the scrap and uh, they had to build an instrument. And we have one of those in front of the plant. Some really cool things come out of the scrap. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard. 701 East 36th Street, open Monday through Saturday. This is Eb Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. Are you letting rising inflation interfere with your ammo budget? Don't do that. Let us show you how to buy the same goods and services 20 years from now as you can today. We manage money for gun owners and we can guide you to retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me. Eb Wilkinson at 777-1911 or WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com.